0: DesignCast podcast, the podcast for design and STEAM educators.
1: Hello and welcome to DesignCast, a podcast where I interview a wide range of excellent guests in design and STEAM education to get their unique perspectives. My name is Jason Reagan, and I use my 20 plus years of experience as a design educator to dig deep into complex issues. This podcast has one simple mission, to create a community of people around the world that are interested in design and STEAM education. Each episode, I chat with guests from all corners of the design world, from classroom teachers to authors, and even to educational consultants. We discuss a wide range of topics that we feel are relevant today. I do want to ask you that if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review, rate, subscribe, share, or download from your favorite podcasting app. This helps the podcast get discovered by listeners that might not find it otherwise. Also, it helps me to continually define the direction of future guests and episodes In this episode of DesignCast, I was fortunate enough to chat with Alex Gray. Alex is the head of science at the Dubai British School. He also has a YouTube channel called Deep Thinking. We had a great conversation about Expo 2020 in Dubai, the STEAM program at his school, and his recent enjoyment of filmmaking that is evident on his channel it is certain that you will find value in this episode and all that he has to share. Please check out all the ways to catch him and connect with him in the show notes. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this chat with Alex Gray. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com now let's get on to the episode welcome back to another episode of design cast and i just feel so fortunate today to have alex gray on with me alex how you doing man
0: yeah i'm really well thanks jason and thanks for having me
1: on Oh, man, I'm just so, so honored that you accepted my invitation. I can't wait to get into it. And so, Alex, do you mind introducing yourself and telling us what you're currently doing and actually how
0: you became an educator?
1: So, hi, everyone. Um,
0: My name is Alex Gray, and I'm currently the head of science at Dubai British School, Emirates Hills in Dubai. I've been in this role for three years now, but in Dubai for seven. And so prior to that, I worked in grammar schools and boarding schools in the U.K., always been science related, even though I've, kind of, I've got a sports background as well, sort of heavy, heavy into sports. And that's kind of what led me into teaching. I went to a sports-based university, I went to Loughborough University in the UK, and always did rugby, and then always got injured through rugby. And so I did my coaching badges along the way, and just found a real niche and passion for, for working with children and working with sort of other adults as well. That kind of led to a point where I was in my final year of university, and my dad said, Look into teaching. And I looked into it. It was something I could stay at Loughborough and do, and do a science PGCE. And it's kind of just gone from there. I was really, really fortunate to actually find my first job without actually having to teach something, which sounds really weird. But literally, they were like, we need someone to teach biology, but who can also deliver rugby or games in the afternoons. because And that's what the school was. That was a, was a grammar school in the middle of Birmingham. And I was like, perfect. It kind of gave me a, a sort of a false impression of what education or at least applying for jobs should be like. Uh, and I found out like obviously years afterwards that this is not the norm. And that's kind of what's what's led me into it, really. So sort of having that sports background has been helpful to the starting point. But after that, it's it's kind of been look. this is a, a secondary part I can offer you. But I'm all about sort of the science and uh, pedagogy and an interest now is andragogy. So how adults learn. And that's kind of what's uh, pushed me to where I am at the moment.
1: Wow. Very cool. I love to hear how people got where they
0: are. And so what got you to, what brought you to Dubai? So my wife is actually not a teacher. She is an interior designer and the company she was working for just happened to be saying, look, we're setting up an office in Dubai. And we'd always spoken about living abroad and and sort of experiencing what it was like. So she kind of said, look, you know, let's give it a go. If, If you can get a job out there, then yeah, we'll go. And she kind of said that in a a way that only wives can do to husbands that kind of was just like at the end of it when I said, oh, great, I've been offered a job. She was like, oh, I thought this was just like, you know, those sort of one out of five times where you kind of come up with something and it never really happens. And we just kind of say, yeah, yeah, we'll do that for you and nothing ever comes of it. That type of conversation. I said, oh, well, I've actually gone and done something about it now. And she goes, "All oh, right, okay then. So I guess we're going to Dubai." And it was it was typical. And you speak to most people from Dubai, and, and it might even be the same internationally. It's like, right, we well, we'll do two years, and then we'll. And so everyone in Dubai is either you're here for two years or you're here for ten. And uh, we're closer to ten. We're closer to ten years now than we are two.
1: Very cool. And you you mentioned before we started, you
0: have uh, a couple of daughters. Are they enjoying Dubai? I mean, my daughters are eight and six, so they're both at school with me. And every time we even mention about moving or looking at exploring other places there's like let's go to England which is where we're originally from and it's like well, why so there's family there and we don't have to go to school i was like what it's like cuz they've only they've they've only ever seen the uk or england in holidays and no one's at school so they just assumed that you didn't have to do school in england but no they love it they they love it here i mean it's tremendously safe it's a real melting pot diversity of inclusivity of different cultures so for them, when I compare how I grew up to to sort of what they're getting in terms of learning about different cultures and different religions, different holiday tolerance, and their friends are from all over the world, and they're just like my neighbours, so we've got some of my my eldest daughter, some of her friends are local to us, and and so sort of, so they've got an Argentinian, we've got we've got Spanish, I think there's a girl from China. Obviously, we then got different national. It's it's a really really great experience for them to sort of to have that and. I think as kids, so they just kind of just assume that's the normal and it's only when they're going to be older and you kind of go, look, this isn't, that wasn't normal, that was an experience for you and it's sort of helped shape the person that you are. The only weird thing is that one of them sounds quite English and the other one sounds extremely American. That international accent. Right.
1: Oh, man. Tell me about it. My kids have been overseas almost the whole time they've been alive. So I'm in the same boat. They'll say things and I'll be like, where did you learn how to say that? That's hilarious, man. Awesome. So you're at the Dubai British School and... Tell me a little bit about the school. You're you're doing science, but are you doing anything else while you're there?
0: So yeah, so the school is I think it's kind of a sort of a moderate school really in terms of we're three form entry. So in that by what I mean is we get about 27 28 kids in a in a form class. There's only three forms per year group. So we're quite small, probably 70 80 kids in a year group and it brings a very different community vibe and feel. And we know every kid, we know every student that comes through the door in, in our lessons and you teach families and you often get that in, in terms of the kids will go, oh, you teach my older sister or, oh, you've done this with my brother. And, and so in that sense, the school itself is a small vibe, but what comes with it from a science perspective is that we actually have time and space to run. One is the science s- syllabus, but underneath that and underpinning that, we also run a separate STEAM program, and that runs from what would be year three, so seven or eight-year-olds, all the way up to year nine, so our 13-, 14-year-olds, as it were. So they're getting a consistent approach, not just in science, but then they come over to STEAM as well. So we run these two programs, and it kind of forms sort of a really good, innovative approach, as it says, to the science technologies, the English arts and maths, and we have an exceptional lady who runs the program for us, and we collaborate across. Sort of, she sits in primary, but is you know this specialist, and we sit in secondary, and so we collaborate a lot with what we want to do in terms of middle school science and running science day. So we're just getting ready now for science week. So we're putting things together to to operate that in March and, and programs and, and projects, as it were, for our sevens, eights, and nines. So. It's, it's absolutely amazing to have that sort of as a separate entity. I've not really ever come across any other school that runs a standalone STEAM syllabus as well as a science one. I get people that will go, oh, well, these are our innovation projects or these are our innovation curriculum. And it's, you know, innovation is a word. When I arrived in Dubai seven years ago, it was always banded around in schools, but no one could ever tell you, well, okay, what is it? What, what is it? And they couldn't. It's, and it's only recently we actually go, well, I'll stop and I'll Google it and I'll see. And you think it's just one thing and it's not. There's so much more to it it's like what these students, what these kids are getting exposed to and what they're being challenged to think about with these projects and these designs is innovation. And they're getting it, you know, a couple of times a week and it's consistent throughout the year. And so it's absolutely fantastic.
1: Man that sounds really, really cool, and so this steam program, how much input do you have into it from in your role as the sort of the head of
0: science? I look into it more from let's say the from when they hit seven and eight and nine, maybe a little bit from year six in terms of transitioning, so we look at the curriculum that we offer and obviously we follow the the national curriculum and we may sort of modify it slightly in terms of what we want to do, but we'll look at that and then we kind of go, well, how can we How can we sort of use this as either to to sit on top of what they're doing or to support it? And so we'll talk about ideas that that come into this and certain projects that may come along. So we've done certain things on what's the word now I'm looking for? So, let's say uh, like mesocosms. So, sustainable growth, and because of the Expo 2020, we've taken these ideas about sustainability and mobility, and sort of and merge those ideas into it as well. Hydroponics—that was one I was thinking of. We've done the stuff with hydroponics that ties in. They can do dead easy, and then. The, the lady herself will also come with her ideas because she, as I say, she's she spent years in industry and business, set up her own steam business here in Dubai. And so she's got all these contacts and all these ideas and then gets people in about coding and then to do with, let's say like the Mars rover projects, how to make your own microscopes. So little things like that. And it's like, right, you've got this idea. How can we fit this in? Can we move our, what we're learning about? Can we move it earlier or later into the year to support that? So when we talk about the scientific method or we're talking about a sort of inquiry-based learning or, or those things the students kind of see that it's transferable across i mean in in the wildest dreams in terms of vision moving forward it's like okay well everyone just associates steam with science but it really shouldn't be i think it would be great moving forward on a larger scale to go right well, how do we get art involved in this how is how is the math component involved in this you know, and and engage them in that respect because, and again, just having people come in and speak about engineering, we, we were very, we've been really fortunate to be able to get to Expo a lot with our students and then have talked to us about it. So that engineering side of things, you know, is just sort of that, that wild dream of being able to elaborate further on those.
1: And since you're in a, a British national curriculum
0: school, do you also have D and T? We don't know. And sometimes it would be great to have it like design technology, like they run it, they run it because it's an optional subject when it comes to GCSE, and if the option uptake isn't there, like we run more graphics. So they do sort of a, graphic, a graphics design style of thing. We have sister schools within the company that we work for, and some of them will offer sort of the design technology, and they offer different components of media like photography and things like that that we don't. So... We don't have that, as I say, some of our sister schools do.
1: Yeah, I was just curious because, I mean, a lot of the STEAM stuff you're talking about could easily feed into some of the, the d and yeah. stuff as well. But yeah, I mean, we've had to, my own schools had to like readjust what they're offering because the clientele just aren't taking up computer science or aren't taking up design and technology. So you have to kind of, you know, you are still a business, right? Right. (laughs) So you still have, you still have customers you have to make happy. So, wow, that's awesome. And so they have time built in their schedule for science experiments and for the steam stuff that you're talking about. What have been some of the challenges for you guys as you've implemented this program?
0: I think the biggest thing for students to see the value of it as a challenge I think when it comes to a normal core subject, like your science, English, maths, and when it comes to even optional subjects, like you learn languages or you do art or you do PE, it's like students know the worth and value of it. And that's also trickling down from parents. It's like you get a grade, you get your report, you get this. It's like what society says you need to have and do. And so the buy-in and the value from it is that it's a unique selling point to our school that we offer this. And actually, when the students are in there and they're working, it's they're amazing and we've we've been involved in different uh, competitions like the Abu Dhabi f1 run competitions about designing the cars we can be we're involved in that and there's been like robotics ones I think when the golf was on a few years back they did a, the design robot to collect the balls and they were down there and and, and sort of Rory macaroy was involved in things so there's there's lots of really cool stuff going on about it sort of innovation is a huge driver here in Dubai but it's then they bring it it's like they see it in the classroom and it's like okay well you know why are we doing it it's you know what's the value of it why should we do it we don't get a grade for it and that's always the biggest thing we don't get a grade for it so we're trying to come up with ideas of how we can elaborate sort of an innovation award or sort of this sort of innovation curriculum as it were so students do get something for it and it ties into the school's sort of skill sets so even though we are a british curriculum school i we've got teachers myself and a few others experience from the ib background looking at sort of learner profiles and go well you know, we can have our, we call it the six C's, you know, it's sort of built up a bit from the four C's that we often talk about, like critical thinking, creative thinking, cooperation, communication, and then we've got caring and courageous. So we're trying to trying to actually design or building this sort of this innovation award or innovations or program, so students can have something that's written about or given to them, or there's awards, or they can win prizes from companies that sponsor things sort of to to lead them into it and then from there look at the amazing skill sets and you know things that are transferable across to other subjects and look at the world around them at this moment in time so the buy-in and the value is the challenge we can see as adults and obviously as teachers we see it but for them as students like especially as they get older they kind of see it as almost downtime this doesn't count i don't get a gcse in this it's like so therefore you know what I can just use this as downtime rather than, you know, we kind of in the UK used to have like your record of achievement. It's probably, I don't know if it's very different, obviously, if you're growing up, but a record of achievement you used in you know, past all time, you used to put things inside it. So, like, you'd have, like, when you'd write your CVs or you'd put evidence in it. So, if you ever went for jobs or, like, there was a lot of emphasis on that. So, this idea of having some sort of innov- innovation or something separate from GCSEs or your grades, but something that shows you as a person and your skill set is kind of a is a loose idea we're going with because grades don't tell you the skill sets you know, it just, it just tells you that on one day, your ability to recall information at that time was really good, or maybe not. And you're a morning person, so it worked out better for you, right? uh, Exactly, exactly. It's like, I didn't have my caffeine fix that day. I was terrible. So something like that way, especially with the industries we have in Dubai, and and these, these kids are, you know, globalized kids. It's like, imagine if you could have something, it's like, look, I've got this record of achievement, or it's a digital portfolio of things that I have done that developed my skill sets here, have a look at you know, and I can talk you through it and and go through how this was cooperation and this was this type of innovation and this is what's that? It's like because that doesn't matter what job you go into now, it could be anything. It's like you're going to be you're going to be asked to use a skill set, you're going to be asked to learn something. You know, think about us as educators. It's like we didn't get taught how to use X at X, you know, Excel and PowerPoint. It's like it was it was an assumption you know and nowadays we come into it and you've got you know you're using this streaming systems but guys on OneNote, and there's others on google and then people on youtube for me as a, I mean i as you would talk about in a bit but youtube wise these students look at me and go did you do this sir i was like yeah this looks really this is like really good and i was like what are you trying to say that just because i'm are you saying that just because i'm older or old that i can't you know for use technology or I shouldn't be have a skill set that do and it's trying to bridge that gap of skills are an ever developing ever learning piece and no matter where you are no matter what profession you are you're going to need this or at least the openness to go look I don't know how to do it now but I've got the skill sets to learn how to do it and so it's trying to bring those that mindset and ideas together. Totally,
1: man. You're speaking my language. I'm telling you what, because, you know, used to, you could go into uh, a job interview or go into a, a meeting or something and you could tell people what kind of skills you had. You had hard skills and, you know, I can operate a lathe or I can do a typewriter, but now so much of it is just so collaborative and metacognitive. It's just unbelievable. And I totally agree with you. That's uh, absolutely what students have to be ready to do. <laughs> totally, totally with that, man. I completely agree and so you said something earlier Alex too about you know trying to kind of sell the parents and sell the students and in my own experience I find selling other teachers on what I'm what I'm doing is also a big part of that because if they're not on board then when those students leave whatever class you're teaching the other teachers like well you know it's not really that valuable or whatever and you know or they're just their body language says that so I don't know have you found that to be true too that you have to often kind of sell the program to other colleagues
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, with it as well with teachers, it's, but it's out of their comfort zone, isn't it? It's, it's one of these, we, we, we're so, we're guilty as educators of just pigeonholing ourselves and go, well, I'm a science teacher. And we asked them, we go, what do you teach science? You know, I remember, I remember my wife, my wife absolutely being hilarious at this. And I said, right, for a year, I'm going to change, I'm going to change my profession. And someone asked me, what do you do? I'm gonna say teacher, I'm gonna say, I shape the minds of the world for tomorrow. It was something along those lines. It's like, I'm shaping future minds. And it's like, what? And she's like, oh, it sounds, she's like, you sound so up yourself saying that, just say you were flipping teacher. But, and there we go, it's like, we we pigeonholed ourselves. So we can come in and say, I'm a teacher. And then we go, so what do you teach? Science. And it should be a case of, we could just go, I work in education, I'm an educator. And imagine if you could just stop at that point and go educator, and that's all you needed to know. It's not, oh, you know, you have to teach a specialist subject. It's not that. It's like we model transferable. Now, I'm not saying I've got the knowledge and, and prerequisite knowledge to even sort of dive into some of the higher end parts of English or languages. But there should be some level of crossover where I can go, well, I'm not going to pigeonhole myself as a learner and, subje- and stick to my subject. And I model that for the, you as students and go, well, you're students. I don't say you're a student of biology and therefore that's all you are to me. You're a student. And so addressing that and being at open mindedness for teachers as well to go, look, you're an educator, you're a teacher. And that's, I'm not going to say you're a teacher of science, you are a teacher. And this is now going to take you out of your comfort zone. And as they say, what is it? Comfort is the enemy of progress. Mm. So these teachers who are comfortable because they know their subjects, it's like, well, if you want to be a better teacher if you want to develop yourself let's let's challenge you as well and, and put you in these situations and so yeah you do get some kickback from staff who are just like oh, i don't want to do it you know it's like oh another and that's infectious to the students and that's why the students that like, if you get if you're there with the enthusiasm and passion it's like wow this is this is interesting guys it's like i didn't have this when i was at school it's like you're being exposed to this now and i guarantee you in 10 years time when you're going for job interviews, when people are asking you, these will be the types of things that you talk about that you should be able to say. So it's a complete cultural shift though. It's a a shift in education to, to rally behind skills rather than drills, as it were.
1: Completely agree, man. I think we're on the same wavelength. Absolutely. Do you think that your time in coaching and working with athletes helps the way you teach today?
0: Definitely. I think that was the one thing that made me come into teaching and find the the actual transition to it quite easy i didn't have i remember working with some of my colleagues and not to sound egotistical with this or big headed but i didn't find it difficult creating flow within planning lessons because i was so accustomed to to planning um, sessions for rugby teachers and i even say now when, when i'm working with staff and whether it's trainee teachers the amount of staff who come in and try and teach a lesson without notes and i if you watch any good sports coach doesn't matter what they're in any good sports coach whether it's rugby football nfl hockey every coach has got that a4 folded piece of paper or a book and it's like this is my session these are the key points these are the things and it's just like well this is what we should be doing with you know, teachers encouraging them to say, "Look, take it with you guys. Take these notes with you. Have these notes." And so for me, that part of it has always been natural to say, "Like, I don't know everything. I've got a, a planning." And I, I even mentioned this to some, I think on social media the day. It's like, is planning a lesson a lost art form? You know, do we actually get time to plan? Because you know, the, the sports side of it, it's all you're doing, constantly reflecting, planning. It's like you've got to have your drills laid out. Key terms because kids don't want to, and adults don't want to listen to you. So, what are my key points? What have I got to do? How am I going to move from this to this? What's the relevance of this skill set to this game? And so that part of it, straightforward. And then when it comes to speaking with people, the dialogue, it's like I need to be specific and to the point. I can model it, and then it's like, but they're constantly getting verbal feedback or modelled feedback or shown good examples, and that's the that's the thing even to this day. We talk about marking and feedback, and I hate that. I hate this term, marking. Whether the educators out there, and we do it, it's, it's just a phrase we use now, and if you stop and think about it, every teacher hates marking, because it's time consuming, and it's, it's cost against you know what you get out of it versus what you put into it, and it's more for the, what the kids get out of it. If you change the, change the mindset and go, look, this is about feedback and assessment, and it's what we do constantly and you can just go look feedback is constant it's immediate it's verbal or it can be summative like a summary summary at the end you know we all stop sports sessions we stop lessons and go right you know quick let's have a quick feedback let's look at the things our objectives for today how do we and it's little things like that actually now that are building into it And, and there's i still think there's a lot we can learn i'm I, I said to someone the other day, it's like, I think all teachers should actually do, go and do a sports coaching course. Pick a sport, rugby, football, um, NFL, you know, anything basic one and go and do like a level one, go and do an introductory coaching course because it will completely change the way you approach a lesson for learning for everybody. And then also how you how you speak, how you feedback and, and how you model all these different things. It's 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 yeah, definitely invaluable for me. And then on the flip side, I, I still coach rugby now. I coach... I've got a thing in the team, I coach is 50 under 11. And the guy who directs the guy who directs the team who's like in charge of the club is like the best teachers, because you know how to handle massive groups of kids and people. It's just one of those transferable skills over and over. So it works both ways.
1: Yeah, totally, man. Well, Alex, this has been great. It's great education. I really want to get on to what I want to talk to you about as well, which is your, your videos that you make for your YouTube. You mentioned (laughs) them earlier. They're, they're hilarious. I absolutely love them. Can you tell me and the listeners a bit more about them?
0: He, well, so I got into YouTube probably during the pandemic and I've always loved photography, always kind of done family videos. And I was kind of just looking for something from a I think one to keep me sane and to keep me sort of a, as a hobby, but also as professional development uh in terms of PD doesn't need to doesn't need to be, you know, sat in a classroom on a course. It can be what you do at home and and how you how you kind of develop yourself from there. So it came about purely because, as I said, my wife in interior designer needed to get Photoshop. And so we get the the bun- get the bundle, as it were, from, from Adobe. It's like, oh, this is an interesting thing. It's called Adobe Premiere Pro. So like I've got some time I got some time on my hands I'll you know I'll figure out how to use this and and that was it really sort of just jumped straight in, started watching some different youtubers about how to do it and then just sort of grew in terms of liking certain styles and people I watch and then just sort of, I thought you know what i'll I'll get into this I want to develop my articulation I want to be able to comfortably speak and remove that um uh and you know from my vocabulary and you'll probably you'll probably listen back to this and go well you've not done that good a job well about that but as i've gone through it's kind of it's almost now become a slight identity for me and the students in school have it there's the connections for example like this right now as well as then from linkedin and, and youtube and other people that reach out to you and see you and recognize you and it's just a great tool for connecting and also just as a, a hobby, just as something to, to to wind down or or set up a conversation about things. So, yeah, some of them are, are comedy. They're they're creative and they're so enjoyable because again, you take yourself out of your comfort zone. People pigeonhole you as a as a sportsman or as a, as a science teacher, and it's like, well, why can't I create something that's funny? And people came up to me, and, I didn't realise you were funny. I didn't realise you could act like that. And and that's and and that's the thing with it. It's so it's been able to sort of break down those barriers and have some fun, but also. Make connections, bring people together, um, and talk about and talk about education, and or even just bring in like vlogs and and have family and children, so people can see what it's really like to live internationally. And and then my children will reflect on this. I can share with family that are in the UK. I've got family in Canada, so for them to be able to easily see it, and then for a, from a teaching side, you go to the school, going to school, and go right, guys. You know, right when you go into work, when you do this, you know, videos and that way of learning and communicating, that's the way now you know i don't want to send i don't want to send a whatsapp message anymore i'm going to send a voice note and it's then actually you know what i'll send a video just so you can see the expression on my th- on my face and you know how i feel and so those skill sets and and actually that's that's kind of what i found from doing it for almost what almost 2 years now actually I mean, 2 years in may it's just I learned so much from it about storytelling and education but then about connecting with people and just as a skill set itself how how nice it is to be able to sort of construct these things as a keepsake
1: yeah i mean it's a great hobby you can do it at home you're creating content that no one can take away from you right like you're actually just creating this body of work and so i agree with you man it's been a great outlet for me during the pandemic to to be able to do my own thing as well and so man that's awesome i love it anyone who's listening who hasn't seen it the links will be in the show notes because it is Awesome stuff and I can't wait for other people to check it out, Alex. Is, that's really awesome. So what are you super excited about at the moment? What's got your
0: other than making videos for YouTube, what what's really got you excited? Well, if you're talking generally, it would be the Six Nations in the rugby has started. It's got me super excited. That started last weekend. And not so not so excited about the result. Unfortunately, England lost to Scotland. But that that got me super excited. I was at Expo. Expo recently got me so hyped. We were there yesterday with school. We got invited from the UK pavilion. So it was the UK national, national celebration in the expo yesterday. So if I'm allowed to tell the date and time, date. So yesterday, but on the Thursday, on Thursday the 10th, it was the UK national, UK celebration in the expo and we were invited. There. And we got to, as a school experience, they gave us some rugby coaching. Then we were there for when the Commonwealth torch was lit. Prince William was there yesterday as well. Yeah. So real big, big, that, that in itself, in terms of what that's brought for the country and the kids who are in my school and seeing it, the parents are involved in doing it. That again is, is super, super exciting. And it's also then little things. So, and it's going to sound so weird to say, cause it will probably come into ed tech stuff as well is loom. Now I've used, I've been using loom for a while, but on and off and I've kind of used it from a distance learning in terms of right guys I'm pre-record it. I like it in this way. But actually it's that innovative approach and you go, right, I dislike, as I said to you, it's like, not dislike, it's like, but marking in terms of the time I input and the output. So I'm scratching my head and I was reading sort of the, I think it was from the UK, I think it's the Education Endowment or the Foundation that did the research into sort of, and does loads of different research and, and evidence trawls into all sorts of different things, but one specifically that tied into the government review on marking. And it was talking about feedback and all these different policies on on feedback and how can it be improved? And I was just like, well, I've got OneNote and I've got Loom. How can I make what the phrase is? How can I do less, but be better? And so for, for me, I'm excited at the moment in terms of this transition of, I say to my students, right guys, when I plan out a lesson, it's like, this is content. And it's like, this is what you need to know. So knowledge and understanding is just content. But when I get to an application task, then I'm going to, that's what I'm going to feedback on. That's the bit I want to mark. That's the feedback because it shows you can apply knowledge and understanding. So what I've started doing is I say to my students, right, take a photo of your work, put it on OneNote for me. And then what I do is I live mark it. So I have Loom, I've got Loom recording me. And then it's record as obviously it's recording the screen. So as I mark their piece of work on OneNote, it's being recorded. And so then what I do is it's only a two minute, three minute thing. And then so each student has their own individual folder on Loom, which is great because it's free for educators. And then video link goes there, links on top of the OneNote. And I say, right guys, watch this. And then there's this feedback. And then there's might be things I want you to respond to and just put it underneath. And it's like, they can pause it, they can go back you know, they can answer it, they can literally see it's like a one to one. And so it takes me as long to do as if I was actually flicking and ticking a book. And so I'm really excited from an education side in terms of time management, and, you know, actually impact, because as they say, you know, feedback is should be worth two things, it should be corrective, or it should be challenging. In terms of then how can I ensure that students are getting that to drive progress? like, what better way to be able to do it than go, look, I'm actually like we are now. I'm talking to you on a one-to-one purely about your work and you can watch me as I do it. So that for me is, as I say, it's just sort of a bit of a, a different way of thinking. It's innovative. Those two things already exist existed before before I got to it. It's just now the way you're using it together. And I'm sure there'll be people out there that maybe go, oh, I already do that. Or someone out there goes, oh, I never thought about it. And I was like that. I'd never thought about that. And actually bringing them together is with all these other things, I'm like, that's going to save me so much time and have so much more impact. It's like, I'm excited about this.
1: Wow. You know, and it's something I think would be completely foreign to us 24 months ago. There's
0: yeah. no way we would have even
1: considered it, I don't think. Unbelievable. It's great to hear the innovative things that are happening, especially born out of some negative stuff, right? <laughs> Giving def- us an opportunity to do something fun. That's def- awesome.
0: Definitely. I mean, that's just... And again, that's just like one piece of edtech, isn't it? And it's like, in terms of what you can do with it, it's great.
1: It is awesome. And so many people have shared so many great things with me. And that is just one more, Alex. It's awesome that you're hearing it. It's, it's, I'm hearing how authentic that is and your students are benefiting from it. And so that's that's great. Thank you for sharing that with me. And uh, so, so Alex, I always ask everybody to share with the listeners a book that they would recommend everyone stop right now and read. So do you have a book
0: that you recommend? I do. The one that's probably had the biggest impact on me throughout this experience I read, called The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. So I don't know if you've come across him before. Yeah, so he also did The Talent Code. Read that previously and was like, wow, that's, again, learning about individuals and how they do it, it's like, wow. And then he wrote one on The Culture Code and it happened at a point in my time where I was just transitioning more to be interested more in like coaching and people development. And I came to it and I was just like, you know what, as an educator, Because we go into, I suppose it's weird, going to school and you think, ah, we're we're a big community and we're all working together. And the answer is, no, we're not. The success (laughs) of a school, this is the way I view it. The success of a school is based on the strength of the teams within the school. If you weren't teams, you wouldn't have a science department or an English department or if you want to call it a language faculty. Those are individual teams. And those individual teams have their own cultures and work in their own dynamics. And the success of those individual teams is what makes a school great. That's kind of the, the, what I picked up from that and kind of, I suppose, made it my own about education and, and coaching culture in education as well. And it's that for me is just sort of some of the things that it's just a great storyteller, Daniel, you know, Daniel Coyle in terms of how he puts things across and what he says about it, the people he's spoken with. Really, really good read.
1: Yeah, it's a great book. I absolutely loved it. It was was a fantastic book. I need to go back and read it again. So thank you for reminding me, Alex. I need to go go read that again. That would be awesome. So so Alex, if people want to get in touch with you or check out your YouTube channel, what's the best way to do that?
0: Okay. So my YouTube channel is Deep Teaching, which is D-E-E-P. So it stands for Develop, Engage, Explore, Progress.
1: Okay, great. I'll make sure that Ends up in our show notes so that people can have an easy access to check awesome. that I think out. I, I think I
0: I'll send. I think I send you the link. I think
1: that's- yes, yes, you did. And I'm excited to have that on there. And and if people want to connect
0: with you, what's the best way to do that? so uh deep teaching is on twitter i'm not i'm not massively into twitter i'm a linkedin person so um on linkedin you can find me it's just it'll be just alex gray i'll put it it's on my youtube channel twitter is deep teaching it's all connected but um, it's it's like that i'm on on that side of the fence i'm the linkedin side of the fence i know other people kind of the twitter side of it but no i'm still not there yet
1: I got you. It's okay, man. You've you've got your, you got your niche. You got to stick with it, right? You definitely want to check that out. All right. So Alex, thank you so much for this. I know that people are going to find a lot of value in it, uh, especially that last tip about how you're using Loom and giving feedback and just some really interesting stuff you're doing. So I do appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you so much, man.
0: Oh, Jason, you're welcome. Thanks again for inviting me on. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's always, always great to catch up with fellow educators everywhere around the world. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I hope you
1: enjoyed that episode of DesignCast. I'm Jason, your host, and I produced and created this podcast. If you have any input, I would love to hear from you. And I look forward to seeing you again really soon.